Well, you should have a set of notes. I see some new faces, so it's great to have you with us. Uh, we give a test at the end of the time, so I hope you're ready. So, uh, no, we don't. Uh, I use the Net Bible, uh, the New English Translation. It's free online, and that's one I'm just used to, so forgive me if you, you're using the good old King James and you're having trouble following along, but uh, that was the text I'll be using. Uh, and we uh, try to do an in-depth study, and this one is a small one, which is great, five weeks, that's all. And then after that, uh, we'll bring in Rich Blumenstock. Dr. Blumenstock's specialty is evangelism and discipleship. He's taught for many years. He's been a missionary at University of Michigan. Don't hold that against him uh, on the campus there. He's spectacular. He's a colleague of mine and dear friend. And he's going to come and present on how to share your faith. And uh, I guarantee you it will be worth your time. He's very good at what he does and uh, just has a heart for the Lord as well. But our journey, this, these five sessions, is going to be on 2 Timothy. I've entitled it, Serving as a Soldier of Jesus Christ. And uh, A couple of you said, you know, that term is loaded. And I said, I know, but Paul uses that term. It's scriptural, all right? He uses it to describe the Christian faith in this epistle. And he should know full well about soldiers because Paul is imprisoned in Rome at this time frame. Let me set the scene for you. That's that large block of material at the top of the page. But let me paint the picture for us uh, this morning so we know what we're looking at. Paul pens 13 letters that are recorded in the canon. And they are arranged. Does anyone know how they're arranged in the canon? Size. The largest is first. It's not chronological. Uh, I know that'll blow your mind, uh, but uh, they're arranged by size. Second Timothy, though, is the last epistle that Paul penned. Now, I know there's some scholars who believe Paul did not write the letter. Uh, I have a hard time with that because the first word in the Greek is Paulos, <laughs> an apostle of Christ Jesus. So, uh, and uh, he mentions there's a whole host of reasons why uh, I believe Paul wrote the letter. The, the last three letters that Paul has penned, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, are often referred to as the pastoral epistles. It's really an unfortunate nomenclature because often I'll have students say, oh, that means Timothy and Titus were pastors. No, they were not pastors. They appointed pastors. Uh, they, appointed, they were responsible for church polity and church um, structure and so forth. As we know, uh, as you see in 1 Timothy and Titus, the qualifications of an elder or pastor, qualifications of a deacon. Um, and so that's where the term comes from. Uh, originated in the 1700s, they're calling them the pastoral epistles. But far more significant for us as we look at this letter, as we said, this is his last epistle that he writes. Uh, I remember in seminary, uh, John Walvard had been the president for 30-some years and then the chancellor, 50 years. And he's a towering fellow, very, in this deep voice. And I remember in his late 80s, he spoke to the men in chapel, uh, men and women in the the student body, and he said, men, women, and he started off and talked about the charge to keep faithful to the Word. And I couldn't help but think of, of Paul's parting words to Timothy. Uh, there's some very key things that we need to see. A man who's walked with the Lord, a man who's suffered greatly for the cause of Christ, he says, these are some things I want to give to you. They're not just to Timothy. This letter would have been read publicly in the church. 
So, yes, it's, it's first and foremost to Timothy, but it's to the church, and, and I would argue it's to us as well. And I mentioned this in the latter part of that first paragraph. So he'll pen this from Rome. Uh, this is his second imprisonment that we know of in Rome, all right? So we close the book of Acts with his first imprisonment. Uh, he, he mentions he wants to go to Ruba, he wants to go to Spain. Uh, most likely he did. We don't have record of that, but there appears to be a fourth missionary journey. Uh, series of events, it's hard to piece together. We don't have the latter, you know, Acts ends with his first imprisonment, but I suspect he went back to Asia Minor, which is where Ephesus is located. That's where Timothy is serving, and it's probably during that time frame that he is arrested. Some say he went back to Rome and is arrested, who knows, but he's in prison. This is during the time of Nero. Uh, there's great persecution against the church. This is the first major wave of persecution. Uh, you know your history enough to know Nero. And uh, it's shortly thereafter this letter is penned that uh, probably within six months to no longer than a year, uh, Paul will be a martyr. He will be beheaded since he is a Roman citizen. And that's, the, he wouldn't have been crucified, uh, that's for sure, or thrown into some gladiator game. So that's, that sets the, the scene for us as we look at this letter. It's turbulent times, the church is being persecuted, but also we know that many are uh, leaving the church. Uh, we have record of that, in fact, I even mentioned this there, I quote First Clement, an early church writing, who states that many suffered for martyrdom, and on it goes to mention that many defected from the church as well. And Paul's going to mention that in this letter, right? We see this in the first chapter. In fact, look at verse 15, chapter 1. Turn to 2 Timothy 1, 15. He says that you know, everyone, and that's, that's it's, uh, in the Greek it's very clear, everybody in the province of Asia has deserted me. We'll talk about that in a minute. What in the world? But the province of Asia, that includes Ephesus. That's where Paul spent three years. <clears throat> and yet they've left him. So this is very significant. And we'll, we'll get to this as we journey along. Well, <clears throat> our writers did not write in a vacuum. And if I uh, am going to write a letter, there's a certain format I even use in English, don't I? You know, um, dear Jason, you know, greetings, trust you're doing well, your family's well, right? Then I get into the real reason I'm writing, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, a great, you know, thinking of you, praying for you in Christ, David right? There's this format that I use, and that's true with first century epistles, first century writings, and we see that. And chapter 1, verse 1, opens with what we call the salutation. This is the, the opening. It's the greeting. And then what happens is you move to a thanksgiving. And it's so often when we read Paul's writings, it's easy to do a blitzkrieg through the greeting, isn't it? Paul to the church at wherever, Ephesus, grace, mercy, and on you go. Don't do that. It's vital, and I want you to see that this morning. So let's dive into the text, and let's look at this opening, this greeting. And you see the format. It's from the author to the recipient greetings, and look what it does. From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to further the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear child, grace Mercy, which is interesting because that's seldom seen in the greetings in his other Pauline letters, but in 1 Timothy, he also says grace, mercy, uh, and peace 
from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at this as he, he starts off. He's kind of like a peacock who's put out his feathers, right? <laughs> I'm Paul, an apostle. Boom, right? That's not the case in all of the letters. Uh, it's true when he writes to the church at Corinth, <laughs> or, um, but it, it's not true when he writes some other epistles. But this one, <clears throat> why? Why does he need to tell Timothy he's an apostle? I mean, it's clear there's a great relationship because of my dear child, not literally, but figuratively. Why would he need to say I'm an apostle? Uh-huh. What's happening in this letter is we're going to see Paul's credibility is greatly under attack. Not only are they deserting him, they're calling him a liar, a deceiver, a polluter of the gospel, etc. So his integrity is being called into question, right? And, and so out comes the feathers. I'm Paul, an apostle. Yes. It's also going to, uh, if this is being read publicly, uh, what Paul is doing is to affirm Timothy, say, I'm coming alongside you. I'm an apostle. This is the one I've called to take over the mantle here in Ephesus in the province of Asia. So don't mess with Timothy, right? Because I, Paul, am doing this. And notice what he says. He gives us several clarifications of this apostleship. Number one, we see it's directly linked with Christ Jesus, right? And the genitive there, that construction is very interesting, but it's, it could show ownership. It could be that his apostleship has been directly linked because Christ Jesus has given it. I think of Acts 9, the Damascus Road. Jesus himself calls Paul, right? Boom, you're an apostle. That's what I'm going to call you to do. You're going to go to the Gentiles. And, 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 but uh, <clears throat> certainly it's directly linked, and, and I give the reference there in your notes. But notice what else he says. Who gives the apostleship? The grand Sanhedrin back in Jerusalem? Christ himself by the will of God, right? I am an apostle. So his authority is seen. Look at 1 Timothy 1.1. It's not the first time he says it in the pastoral epistles. 1 Timothy 1.1 says, From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God. Here it is again, right? Right? Don't miss this. Those feathers are coming out. <sighs> Don't mess with me, Paul's saying. My apostleship is by God himself. No one gave this to me. No one, this wasn't my own ambitions that, that sought the apostleship. It wasn't that the pillars of the church back in Jerusalem gave it to me. No, it's by God himself. That's where I receive it. So that's my authority. And then notice, he even gives us one other clarification, another prepositional phrase to further, here's the purpose of his apostleship, the promise of life. That's always referring to eternal life. In other words, I've been called to deliver the gospel message. That's what I'm doing, right? That's, that's what this is all about, which is so contrast to what we're going to see in 2 Timothy, false teachers. It's interesting, if you study Paul's letters, Try studying them chronologically. When I teach New Testament, I move through them chronologically. I don't move them through them canonically. The reason being, you see this development. In Galatians, uh, they're being attacked from the outside. By the time we get to 2 Timothy, the false teachers are in the camp, and they're a real problem. And you see this corruption of the church taking place, and, and, and that's what's happening here. They're, they're inside the camp. They've filtered in, right? And he says, to further the promise of life, and you see that there in your notes, to Timothy, 
He mentions my dear child. That is a loaded term. There has been much ink spilled on, on um, honor and um, just the, the culture of the first century. This idea of obligation. To be someone's child is, uh, you don't see that as much today. I think we've got it reversed. <laughs> the parents obligated to the child. That was not the case in the first century. If you're my child, you are to do exactly what I tell you to do. Uh, there is an expect, expectation of responsibility, and, and you would do nothing to shame your parent in the first century. We've lost a little, well, I don't know if we lost, but our, our culture views that a little differently, doesn't it, uh, today? Um, I think an Asian culture is very similar to that. Uh, um, <laughs> there's a family in our neighborhood, uh, the child was a uh, little lippy. And uh, I, Mama moved so quick, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> uh, because there was, this is our family. You don't do this. You don't shame us. Uh, not in front of public. Um, so, the way she moved. But the phrase, uh, again, and, and there's tons of evidence for that. Uh, and so, mentioning him as his dear child, which he mentions also in 1 Timothy, shows this connection. Uh, and, and what you're going to see in... in this chapter is Paul establishes who he is, and it's kind of a domino effect that's expected of Timothy as well. You're my offspring in the faith, and you need to reflect that. And so he highlights, Paul highlights his faith and his ability to, stay under, to withstand suffering, and that's expected of his children, i.e. Timothy. So you're going to see that as we go along. And then we've talked about the grace um, and mercy and peace, which are loaded terms, uh, but all of those are, why mercy? I think it's what resource he's going to need in the midst of what's transpiring, all right? The church is being persecuted, we just mentioned that, people are defecting, and to be aligned with Paul is not the flavor of the month, all right? Uh, it's not very popular to be a follower of Paul at this point ultimately a follower of Christ, but you get the message, the idea. All right, well, let's move. That's the greeting. Let's move into the thanksgiving, which is key as well. Uh, typical of first century writings. Uh, you want to, uh, it's interesting, there are a couple of Paul's letters that do not have a thanksgiving, because <laughs> he doesn't have much to be thankful for for this group. Uh, but this one has a thanksgiving, uh, and he says, I'm thankful to God whom I've served with a clear conscience. That is an amazing statement, by the way. Um, the clear conscience is found in 1 Timothy 3. It's an idea of that of faithfulness. And he's aligning himself with the ancestors. Abraham, Elijah, Elisha. He says, I, I, I've, I'm in this vein. And I think, man, I hope I can say that when I'm on death's door. I've served well. When I remember you in my prayers, as I do constantly, night and day, speaking of its fervency and his piety, as I remember, you know, this is the second term that we see that time that we see this term occur. Don't miss this. Uh, remembrance is going to be vital in this Thanksgiving. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere or authentic faith, which is so contrast to the false teachers that was alive first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm sure is in you. Uh, we know they are both Jewish. Uh, Timothy has a Jewish mother, but a Gentile father. Uh, Timothy will be saved on the first missionary journey 
and will join Paul on his second missionary journey, unlike Titus, who doesn't join until the third because Titus' parents were both Gentiles, and Titus wasn't well trained like Timothy was in the Hebrew Scriptures. Because of this, I remind you, here it is again, to rekindle God's gift that you possess through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, a prisoner for his sake, but by God's power, accept your share of suffering for the gospel. He is the one who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not based on our works, but on his own purpose and grace granted to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now made visible through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He has broken the power of death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel I was appointed, watch this, here again, those feathers come out, a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Because of this, in fact, I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed because I know the one in whom my faith is set, and I am convinced that he's able to protect what has been entrusted to me until that day. And when that is referred to that day in Paul's writings, it's always the day of vindication. Uh, it's the day of the end, all right? Hold to the standard of sound words that you heard from me. Again, Paul is the model. I have persevered. I have held fast. You need to do the same. Protect that good thing entrusted to you through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including our two little amigos. May the Lord grant mercy to the family of Onesiphorus because he has refreshed me and was not ashamed of my imprisonment. But when he arrived in Rome, he eagerly searched me and found me. And I watched the playoff of this. May the Lord grant to him to find. He found me. May he find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well all the ways he served me in Ephesus. So let's look at this. Let's unpack this Thanksgiving. The first part of this, as we look at this, is dealing with or Paul, or excuse me, Timothy's faith. Um, in fact, verses 3, really through 5, are one sentence, and you can summarize it, and I've done that down at the bottom. If we were to lay this out grammatically and do a, a diagram of the text, which we won't do, but if we did, it's literally, I thank God. Why? Because I remember your faith. That's the basis here. Now, why would he remind him of his faith <laughs> in the gospel? Because he's shoring him up. He's making sure, hey, this is the faith that you had, so don't waver. In fact, I don't waver, so you must not waver. That's, that's where we're going with this. This is all in this Thanksgiving. We haven't gotten to the content yet. <laughs> uh, Thanksgivings are loaded. Uh, in fact, they make a great study just of Paul's Thanksgivings and the letters. But you see this here. On the top of your page two, I'm... I highlight again that Paul is serving as the model and as the reminder, uh, and that's key, remembrance as, as we've seen here. Uh, and so Paul starts with himself, I'm thankful to God whom I've served because of the faith, and you've received that faith, and, and he highlights Timothy's authentic faith, which is a, a term that he, as you see there, his sincere faith. And again, it's such a contrast to the false teachers that uh, we're going to see later in the epistle. Uh, 
Towner in his commentary writes, this is at the top of page two, Paul's Thanksgiving prayer is then the basis for his appeal to Timothy. It supplies encouragement. He prays for him, affirms his faith, right? It implies obligation with a note of warning. Take heed. The day is coming, right? Uh, you, you know, there is an heritage that requires loyalty and a confidence that must be validated. That's vital to this. Any questions on this section? As Paul spells this out, <clears throat> again, he highlights the grandmother and the mother. Um, Timothy has been well-trained, and I think that's why so early on he joins Paul's band of brothers in mission work, because he's been well-equipped. Um, he will have Timothy circumcised. I think that's because he is seen as half-Jew. Uh, Titus isn't, but I know you really didn't need to know that. just thought I'd share that with you. Anyway, it's in the text. <clears throat> All right, well, let's move along. <laughs> Or should I say, let's move along. Yes, uh, renewing Timothy's calling is then found in 6 through 14. This is really the bulk of the thanksgiving. It's really where he's wanting to stress. And that's what he's going to then highlight through the rest of this epistle. Um, this letter is so timely. I don't, I don't know. I just The more I read this, and it was studying, and I thought, I'm so glad we're doing this letter right now. He mentions in verse 6, because of this, I remind you to rekindle God's gift. What's the gift? What's he talking about? Um, there are a whole host of ideas by commentators, but let me give you Hoffaditz's theory. Uh, it's not just mine. Many hold to this. I think it's the Holy Spirit. You got the Holy Spirit when you, you accepted Christ, that initial faith. That was that down payment, and the context even seems to clearly indicate that because it's highlighted in verse 7, right? For you did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, and it's highlighted again later in this, it's bookend, as we see uh, the Holy Spirit is, is in, brought again in verse 14, protect the good thing and trust you through the Holy Spirit who lives within you. And by the way, what's the good thing? I think it's the gospel. That's a good thing. Uh, it's the sound teachings, but particularly the gospel. He, he's trying to flame this. Don't forget what, where God has brought you, what you have clinged to. Don't waver. Why? Because in the context, remember I mentioned we have people abandoning the gospel. Or, as we're going to see, false teachers who are corrupting it and saying, well, you know, we need to add circumcision, we need to add some other things, elements of Judaism. to And, and why does Paul state? I mean, don't miss this. Verse 9, he's the one who saved us and called us not based on our works. Why? Because the false teachers want to add to the gospel. And that is human tendency, by the way. That's most world religions. You've got to do X, Y, and Z to be in God's favor including blowing up churches, right? It's a mindset we don't understand. And, and uh, as I travel the Middle East and spend time there, uh, you realize a Judeo-Christian mindset has a whole different view of life. But far more significant is a relationship with God Almighty. We do what we do because we love Him and we understand the love that He's lavished on us, Right? And that's a whole different mindset from one who lives in fear that God's going to zap you if you do one thing wrong. And if you have enough good, you'll be brought into the kingdom. That is not what we see in the New Testament or in the Old Testament, right? 
We saw God's grace time and time again. Well, notice the gift that's given. I'm starting to preach, so I'll move along. Verse 7, give us a spirit of fear, but of power. What, look at the three things he says. Power, love, and self-control. Self-control can also be seen as discretion or walking wisely, which young Timothy needs. Uh, power, you see there in your notes, is directly linked with the Holy Spirit. Love, it's, that's what authenticates true faith. Look at, think of 1 John, right? If you don't love the Lord and love others, you better do a litmus test to see whether you're truly saved. Self-control, discretion, speaks of self-discipline. It's a guard against rash behavior. That's what's happening in the church. People are chucking the faith for, they're getting their toenails pulled out, right? I'm not doing this. This isn't worth it. And in fact, uh, there's this bit of an embarrassment that comes. We see this in verse 8. What are they embarrassed over? What does Paul say? There's several things that seem to create angst among the people. What is it? What's he say? The same thing that occurs today. Well, what's that? Yeah, acknowledging you that you're a Christ follower. Had a guy working on our fire or fireplace, <laughs> our air conditioning unit yesterday, and he hands me a card, and I, I called him, and I'd seen that on Facebook, you know, he's highly recommended, and but he was known for being honest. He hands me this card, and there's a cross on it at the top. I said, "Are you a believer?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "Good for you. Would have known it. Your, your speech." You're known as being honest, but he said, I'm unashamedly a follower of Christ. I said, good for you. Keep it up. But yes, there's an embarrassment from following, uh, and certainly in the first century, following a guy who's been crucified, which is capital punishment, uh, the cross is a great hindrance, right? Uh, even being associated, Paul mentions, with me, Paul says, <laughs> to be associated with Paul is not a, not a good thing right now. Uh, he's not, he's been deserted, but I, we're going to see being spoken ill of, and he's imprisoned. And there's been plenty of studies that show, you know, when we see in verse 16, this guy, Mr. O, who goes and helps and refresh him, and, is, and notice what the text says, not ashamed of my imprisonment. That's huge. Remember, Nero is on the throne. And there's plenty of studies that show by even going, seeing someone in prison and providing them with food and clothing, uh, you're guilty by association. And that's very dangerous in the Roman Empire, especially under this crazy guy ruling by the name of Nero, right? <clears throat> and, and so he says, listen, there, many are abandoning, but instead, verse 9 through 10, he says, what should our motto be and why should we be willing to suffer because he says it's about christ it's about the gospel that's where you've placed your faith right and so he says listen this gift that you have the holy spirit it's what grants you power it grants you love and discretion unfortunately or fortunately i don't know how you want to look at it by being associated with the role of the holy spirit you are going to suffer and we'll see that in application in a minute. He, and Paul's going to mention this then in verses 11 and 12. 
uh, and through the 14, when he talks about the renewing of Timothy's calling and reminding him, he starts again with himself. Notice what he says in verse 11, for this gospel I was appointed, the gospel that you received by faith, that the Holy Spirit infused upon you, that gospel, I'm the one that's in it, just like you've been appointed, Timothy. Let's not forget, <laughs> I handed the baton to you back in 1 Timothy, and you need to carry it. Why would Paul be doing this? Because he knows he's about to face death, and he wants to make sure that baton is being passed and, and handled correctly by Timothy. This is special, precious commodity, right? Yes. What's the difference in time between the first and second letter? Uh, it's difficult to say. Uh, probably a couple years, uh, at, at no more than five. So there, there's not a whole lot of time. And if you recall, Timothy's been appointed over Ephesus. He's given the mothership. Ephesus is the who's who of churches, right? John is served there, Aquila and Priscilla, Apollos. I mean, this is a, this is a very significant uh, appointee or appointment that, that uh, Timothy's been given. Titus was sent to the Isle of Crete, um, which Paul has affinity for. And there's more we could say there, but... Verses 11 and 12, Paul says, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. In fact, this is why I suffer. And this is the whole point that he's mentioning. Ministry and suffering go hand in hand. In fact, Howard Hendricks often said, you want to have an effective ministry? It has a high price tag. It does. John Walford lost, had three kids. One was born with special needs. Another one that... Uh, was preparing for ministry, I think, or maybe the doctorate, I don't know, uh, died in a car accident at age 21. And he talks about these horrific things that he went through, but God used them and shaped them in his ministry. And Paul's saying the same thing here. If you want to have a great ministry, you're going to suffer. You're not going to be exempt. I know this is a real downer for a 7.30 in the morning, but there it is, right? But it's true. And, and, and you, I can go around this room, and I'm sure a ton of you can testify, because of the waters I walk through, it's allowed me to minister better to the saints, and also has deepened my walk with God. I, I wouldn't want to go through it again, but I'm thankful that uh, I learned a few things out of it, <laughs> right? I just wish I learned more, but that's me. But um, Verses 13 and 14, he mentions then that you've got to remain faithful, Timothy, on the knowledge, just as I have. And look what he says, because I know in whom my faith is set. Verse 12. Remember, Paul's about to be, have his head severed from his body. Right? And he's not in the Hilton in downtown Rome. And he says, listen, I know my God. Wow. It's interesting as you look at Paul, as he progressed through the letters, he first says, I'm the chief sinner among the apostles. Then it's the saints. And then it's everyone as he, he progresses. Why? Because he grows in his knowledge of who God is. He grows also in the knowledge of who he is as he walks with the Lord. And it's absolutely amazing as you see this progression. And, and, and he says, listen, they go hand in hand. And I mentioned this in your notes. That's why he says... I am the convinced that he is able to protect what has been entrusted to him. What a great line. Um, 
He's, until that day, hold to the standard of sound words that you heard from me. So with faith, so with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, there's the means or the manner in which it should be done. And that's included there in your notes. Guard, protect the thing that has been entrusted. Again, I think that's the gospel. This is mentioned earlier in 1 Timothy 6. All right. So he's handing this baton off to him. Again, Paul's saying, look at me. I am a model and a reminder of what you need to be doing. That is, again, <laughs> that's an amazing statement. Can you say that to those you disciple? <laughs> Look at my life. This is how you need to live. That's what Paul's saying. Did he do everything perfect? No. He'll tell you that when we meet him. But uh, faithfulness requires dependence on the Holy Spirit. Uh, here is a map just so you see where we are. Uh, here's Rome over here. Here's Asia Minor, modern Turkey today. Uh, is where Timothy is, the location. And as he says, there's a group who have deserted me. In fact, it's not just a group, it's all. Uh, I struggle with this because Ephesus was such a great church and they loved Paul. We saw that in, in the, when the elders met him for, at Miletus. Um, some have argued this is the all who have left Asia who are now in Rome. This group has abandoned, or it's the group of leaders at Ephesus. We just don't know. Um, but it's clear uh, there is a group that has deserted him. But one fella is highlighted as how one should live, right? And Paul gives two wishes or prayers for this guy. Don't miss this. These are sweet. He says, number one, notice this, he says, may the Lord grant, this is in verse 16, mercy to his family. Some argue he's dead. I don't think so. It's in other words, he's in, encompassed in the family. So God, may you bless his entire family because he has been faithful, which is as men, as head of families, those of you who have children or if you're married, um, this is very interesting. God's blessing on the family because one f guy is faithful. And uh, this, is a, this term is loaded. I mentioned in your notes, it goes back to God's desire to assist his people. And I think that's what's going on here. But he also prays that God would grant him mercy. Watch this in verse 18. On that day, we saw that earlier. That day is very prevalent or on the forefront of Paul's mind. <laughs> He's about to die. The eschaton becomes far more significant. I remember, you know, um, my grandparents. I mean, they played View the Land, uh, it seemed like every time I was in their house, right? Because they, they were thinking about, this is it, you know? I'm at death's door. At 90 years of age, you, you're now waiting for the Lord to call you home. Grant mercy to him on that day. It's the same thing Jesus says in Matthew 25. We don't have time, but you can look it up later and see. But as aptly noted by one commentator there in your notes, Paul gives us at length in verses 16 through 18 this example, this example that one is to serve as a reinforcement for the role Timothy is to take in the midst of suffering. Well, Hafidetz, thank you. I'm not back in 67 AD. What's the relevance here? Let me give you a few things to run with today. First of all, authentic faith requires more than merely a simple adherence to a set of doctrinal ideas. The demons even tremble at the name of Jesus. K 
careful. Genuine faith, James 2 has a lot to say what that means. It's not only your love for the Lord, but it's, it's displayed in how you help others. Right? So James chapter 2, and we've looked at that, but one of these things that I see screaming from 2 Timothy 1 is the call to help others, to be involved. It's a faith that has feet. It's a faith that has hands. It's working. It's acting. Here's the second one. The very presence of the Holy Spirit, and this is a bummer for today. Our attendance is going to drop, Tom, because of this, but here we are. The very presence of the Holy Spirit and the fruit that He produces guarantees suffering. It shouldn't surprise us. 2 Timothy 3.12, you know what he says? I'm showing you my cards down the road, but uh, now, in fact, all who want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will what? Be persecuted. Yay. There you are. But it's a fact. If you want to identify with Christ, you will take up your cross and follow Him and deny yourself. There it is. Christ stated it. You're identifying. And then the third thing here is that 1 Peter 5 highlights this as well. Even the faint of heart, little Timothy, who's timid here, can become a fearless lion when one understands, this is why Paul's rehearsing this, the person and work of Christ, what Christ has accomplished, the blessings he bestows in this life, and, as I mentioned, the rewards that wait for those who call upon his name right? This week, we have watched, or Sunday, if you've seen anything on the news, you've seen two churches where bombs have been detonated. Uh, Coptic believers, and uh, I couldn't help, I'd already been studying in 2 Timothy in preparation for this as I, I looked at the slides of the funeral the last couple of days. Um, Paul's words to Timothy, do not be ashamed, stand fast. And I love a couple of photos that have been on, uh, on the, in the media uh, showing the Coptic's commitment to Christ and, and, and I would argue to the gospel. This isn't the first time the Coptic church has suffered uh, you may remember a group of men that were beheaded by ISIS in Libya. I just want to read something to you to close, because this makes it all more relevant. You read this letter and you think, oh, that's 2,000 years ago. Uh, yeah, I know I need to be persevere in the faith, etc. But a 60-year-old woman in Egypt, a mother of Estefanos Camille, 25, and Samuel Camille, 23, who were beheaded by ISIS, is not angry. In fact, if she were to find an ISIS man who killed her sons, she would do the unthinkable. I quote, I will ask God to open his eyes and invite him into our home, she told her son Bashir, who asked his mother what her response would be if she came across an ISIS man in the street. She went on to state, I am proud of her son, my sons. I walk with my head high. ISIS gave us more than we would have asked from them when they didn't edit out the part where they declared their faith and called out the name of Jesus Christ. ISIS has helped us strengthen our faith. This is a mother who lost two sons. Bashir said, in fact, of the village, more than feeling sad, they are feeling happy and congratulating one another because so many from the village laid down their lives for Jesus Christ. <coughs> Timothy in the 80s under Domitian will die. 
for the cause of Christ. He has taken Paul's words to heart. And he says, I am not ashamed. In fact, if I suffer, it's because my faith is set fast in the one called Jesus who's gone before me. Right? We may not be called to uh, ask if we want our head chopped off. We may not have another Columbine experience in the U.S., but we may. But even on a lighter note, when you're asked by HR to do a particular thing and you say, I can't do that, (laughs) uh, et cetera, et cetera, there could be ramifications because you're willing to be a follower of Jesus. And Paul says, don't be ashamed. Remember your authentic faith that you have. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this great reminder this morning. We globally, as a church, suffer these days. In fact, there are more martyrs, they say, in the last 20 years than there has been in church history. Lord, uh, help us to not be ashamed, not to waver, not that we're belligerent at work or in the store, but that we do stand fast in love, recognizing that where does grace, mercy, and hope come from? It comes from the gospel. It comes from our faith in your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.